I should have I should have poured some liquor first though. Oh well. Oh, Boner's not here to do the post. Mm. Do you mean to do it? I've never done it actually. Go for it. Oh shit. Okay. Hello everyone. Welcome to Literally Literary. My name is Sean O'Brien. With me tonight is Sean. Sean Fo- Sean Fogg. Unfortunately, Joey's not here because there was miscommunication, tiny miscommunication on the internets. Nevertheless, I have books. Yay, books. Um, There wasn't a miscommunication, actually. I just fucked up. <laughs> that was a miscommunication. I, get, I just didn't confirm. I was like, I'll be here at 8. I was like, oh, I'll be here at 9. And he's um, like, I'll be done by 8. Yeah. And I just left it. I didn't say, I can be up there by 8. I still understood it to be 8, but, you know. No, but I he thinks I'd be here at nine. Yeah. So he didn't want to get here. Early. He's not rushing his meal. Exactly, it's true. Yeah. But I. But how was your week? Um. Yeah. You know, I started the improv or been doing that for a week or so now. That's cool. Yeah. How's that going? Uh, a lot of clapping. Yes, and do you like that? <laughs> uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I spit out my coffee. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was probably the most genius improv move I've ever seen. That would like, there will be books written on that improv move, my friend. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, two of the things that are antithetical to my entire personality, clapping and confidence. I can't uh, do the clapping thing, though. Yeah. That's kind of annoying. Yeah. It, well, it's more of just like an energy thing than it is anything else, but it's, um, yeah, it just feels extremely... Uh, Forced? Yeah, exactly. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I've never done improv. I, don't, I'm not, I think I'd like it. I mean, it's a groupthink thing, you know, like mm-hmm. when everyone's doing it, it's not as bad. But like when, you know, you there there was a, a time in the improv when there was like this group thing that was going around mm-hmm. and like the person in the middle was doing something and then the two people on either side were supposed to do something. And so that was, you know, passed around and it got to me and I was the guy in the middle and no one did the things on either side of me. And that was like really, <laughs> That's really awkward. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. I forgot to text my, text my sister for pile tinkering that yeah. we're going to be a little bit starting late. Right on. Oops. She'll figure While it out. we're in the middle of a podcast <laughs> and I'm the one who's supposed to do shit. Anyway, I have yeah. books. Women are always late, right? That's good. You're getting, you're getting started early. I'm practicing early. my misogyny. Got to Got to rev up the engine there. All right. Let's do this. I mm-hmm. have... Um, books. Yeah. I have books. I have The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. <sighs> Fucking phonies. There it is. Yeah. I have On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Hmm. I have Dubliners by James Joyce. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I have The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Jesus. I have... There was a man in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> He's fishing. <laughs> and he tried to catch the fish. <laughs> I have George Orwell's 1984, mm-hmm. which is actually your copy. Yeah, that's a good one. I have uh, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Man, F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> I have The World According to Garp by John Irving. Whoa. I have Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. No I, zombies. No zombies. I have The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway, and I have White Noise by Don DeLeo. DeLillo. Uh, well, I got to, uh, you know, the uh, the time and the place, and my heart goes right to, exactly, sir, 1984. Joey's going to kill us if we do this right now. <laughs> I hope he shows up. Uh, Is mm. his mic on? Uh, yeah. All right, good. 
Yeah, he'll. He, all right, he's gonna flip. He's gonna flip his shit when he realizes we did this. Yeah, you know, we'll see. <laughs> well, is, all right. is this cheating? Should we? Should we go to the James Joyce? <laughs> no, we'll do. We do what you ask. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, no, time that, and place. That's that's where my heart is. I feel bad. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> have you ever read 1984? Yeah, it's one of the like five books I have actually physically I so. read. I thought so. You physically read it yeah. too. Not not an audiobook. Do you remember the very first line of this book? Um, no, I don't. I, I it must have been prominent though, or uh, you know, um, I, yeah. If a book doesn't grab me in the first page, I'm probably not going. It to will get, definitely grab you. Yeah. I, I don't remember it, it, it exactly. Um, it's it starts. Oh, God damn it! I, it's funny. I have the books in my hand. It's all. I'm just trying to remember the very first part of the sentence. Um, it's like it was a cold day in October. Bubble, something like that. But um, the second part of it is the most prominent one. That's probably I'm sure you remember. Um, and all the clocks were striking thirteen. Mm. Um, let's give it a go. Thirteen. Oh damn it! I was close. Mm. Okay. Um, do you have any questions on this before we go? No, I'm pretty good. This copy, by the way, <laughs> was once owned by Laura McLean. Yeah, it arrived uh, recently via Amazon. It is a a weathered, aged copy. But uh, why on earth did you buy this on Amazon? I could have. Got, I'm genuinely at the Iliad Bookstore every single time before I come here. I can get I'm, you a copy. I, of this. I'm, I'm a hermit, and it's just as cheap. Oh, you're trying to support local and what? No, I fucking don't give a shit. <laughs> I'll just buy it for you, so you don't have to get this shitty copy on oh, Amazon. To me, that's part of the charm. Or I'll get you a shitty copy. For this is like a, how much you pay for this? It's like two bucks. I could have gotten you this for fifteen cents. <laughs> like, like, I'm not exaggerating. Oh really? I feel like yeah, that. I'm, uh, genu- I'm dead serious. Right I could get you this for like fifteen cents. Well, as discussed before, I visited the Iliad uh, once and was uh, uh, overwhelmed by the prices. If I remember correctly, I, I was disdained by the lack of, pr- of visible pricing. But uh, yeah, they're you, just they're just right. It'd be yeah. right. There. <laughs> <And the laughs> you open cover. <laughs> you actually have to touch the book. <laughs> like, that's fair. A, any normal person would peruse <laughs> and look at a book and open it. I just. Uh, I guess that's kind of funny. That's interesting. I, like a lot of people do have. Um, it's almost like if you don't know how to play the guitar and you walk into a guitar exactly, shop, yeah. there's like a weird sort of um, aversion to touching the guitar, yeah. lest you look like an idiot. Mm. And I guess if you don't physically handle books often there might be right is that am i correct in saying this you don't you did you feel weird like picking up the books um well no i mean it's it's like uh i i feel like someone that's really into books will just kind of like grab random books and start like leafing through them whereas you know i am in either going to a bookstore to look for something specific or look for something you know semi-specific so i'm not just going to grab oh that's uh you you know i there there's nothing that would draw me to a book so to me it's, it's like uh uh uh, you know, walking into uh, a showroom full of snow globes, there's you know just kind of no reason to touch them. And I, I, I actually would beg to differ, my friend. I, if I, you put me in a room with snow globes, you're gonna shake them. Oh my god, <laughs> I would be a Sean in a snow globe shop. Mm. <laughs> um, all right, let's just get started then. Right on. Um, well, I guess do you have any questions, or do you want to uh, tell mention anything before we start? Um, as far as your memories of this book. It being so prominent in your life. Oh, uh, would you like to read it? No, that's all right. Okay. I, I did enough reading for the. Uh, I didn't hear that. The episode, listeners I'm sorry. too. Uh, I know. Yeah, it, it was so bad. O'Brien wouldn't even listen no, to his that's, own show I will about listen books. to it. I just didn't get to it. God. <laughs> no, I, I, I've been shamed enough. It's quite all right. 
The question is, um, by the time this book is done, or by the time we get to this episode, will we still have a country? It'll all be down the memory hole. Uh, Chapter one. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the vile wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. The hallway smelt of boiled cabbage and old rag mats. At one end of, a color, at one end of it, a colored poster, too large for indoor display, had been tacked to the wall. It depicted simply an enormous face, more than a meter wide, the face of a man about 40, of about 45 with a heavy black mustache and, a ruggedly handsome fe- and ruggedly handsome features. Winston made for the stairs. It was no use trying the lift. Even at the best of times, it was seldom working, and at present the electric current was cut off during daylight hours. It was part of the economy drive in preparation for hate week. The flat was seven flights up, and Winston, who was 39, had a, <clears throat> had a varicose ulcer above his right ankle went slowly, resting several times on the way. On each landing, opposite the lift shaft, the poster with an enormous face gazed from the wall. It was one of those pictures which are so contrived that the eyes follow you about when you move. Big Brother is watching you, the (laughs) caption beneath it ran. Inside the flat, a fruity voice was reading out a list of figures which had something to do with the production of of pig iron. The voice came from an oblong metal plaque, like a dulled mirror, which formed part of the surface of the right-hand wall. Winston turned to switch, and the voice sank somewhat, though the words were still distinguishable. The instrument, the telescreen it was called, could be dimmed, but there was no way of shutting it off completely. He moved over to the window, a smallish, frail figure, the meagerness of his body merely emphasized by the blue overalls, which were the uniform of the party. Excuse me. Oh, my God. What year was this originally written? 1984. No. That's what year that version was published. I'm kidding. I know. Is it really, actually? That'd yeah, be funny. The, oh, is. my God. It's you the nerd. commemorative. Yeah. You nerd. <laughs> actually, no, it's not. It was 83, but it was, it was published for 94. Yeah. It was 83. For the uh, commemoration. Uh, yeah, 1949. 49. Yeah. Uh, extremely prophetic for 1949. Oh, faux show. I mean, uh, you know, already predicting uh, almost iPhones, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on with that. His hair was very fair. His face naturally sanguine, sanguine. His skin roughened. The fuck is sanguine? Sanguine. It's like, oh god damn it! As though one were a penguin. <laughs> it's good. Um, it's it's like I want to say like yellowish, pale, sanguine. It's like it's just, a color. Um, not. It's more like a like a descript. It it has. Oh my god! I don't even. My <laughs> my head's not even working right now. It's a hue. <laughs> A saturation. Sort of. it's, it's like a general aura, if I can mm. use that. Like okay. a demeanor, I guess, more or less. Mm. But but has kind of color attached to it. I'm just going to look it up. Fuck this. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah, but it's okay. Fine, then. I didn't want to help you anyway. On my way from B Hills should be 30 men. Jesus fucking Christ. Says Boner. I'm going to text my sister. <laughs> just say 30 minutes. The rich people. 30 men, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. What's sanguine mean? Oh my God! Sorry, Jesus I was trying to. I was Christ. talking. I thought, I'm sorry. 
You knew I was texting while I was doing that. You told me to stop, and then by the time I realized you were at it, I just assumed we weren't going back Everything's to Everything's okay. Optimistic or positive, especially in an apparently bad or difficult situation. Okay. Uh, a, a, a brood red color. <laughs> okay. So it's an emotion and a color? Yeah, it's, which is kind of what I was describing. Weird. Um, I was wrong on the color, though. I was thinking, like, yellowish, I guess. Those definitions are uh, uh, what uh, required for each other or mutually exclusive or... What was your question? Uh, those two definitions, it being an emotion and a color. Is that um, a just, you know, two completely different usages of the term? I or are you so, implying yeah. both at the same time? I think you can do both at the same time, but it mm. is it is the same. Mm. Um, they can be used for one definition or the other, not both. Yeah, exactly. Right on. Um, you should talk. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like I said, this, this is one of the few books that I have actually read. Um, I read it probably... All right, I'm done. <laughs> Fuck you then. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Nope. When did you read it? <laughs> I need to drink coffee now. God, I hate you so much. Um, it was probably r- right after high school, um, uh, college-ish time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, you know what? I think I read it after 9-11. Um, I th- oh, really? Yeah, I think uh, that was, uh, I don't know that one was necessarily connected to the other, but it definitely took on a special significance with a G-dubs in the office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I, even I more believe, so. by the way, it this this book has um, hit the bestsellers list. <laughs> I'm serious. I think in the last like week or so. It's. Would ex- you like to fact check that? For it's me? extremely poignant, <laughs> or prominent, or uh, appropriate. There you go. There we go. That's a word. <clears throat> uh, his skin roughened by coarse soap. There, sorry. His hair was very fair, his face naturally sanguine, his skin roughened by coarse soap and blunt razor blades and the cold of winter that had just ended. Outside, even though the shut window pane... Oh my god. Outside. Get your shit together. Even through the shut window pane, the world looked cold. Down in the little, down in the street, little eddies of wind were whirling dust and torn paper into spirals. And through the, and though the sun was shining and the sky was a harsh blue, there seemed to be no color in anything except the posters that were plastered everywhere. The black mustachioed face gazed down from every commanding corner. There was one on the house front, immediate opposite, immediately opposite. Big Brother is watching you, the caption said, while the dark eyes looked deep into Winston's own. The uh, uh, this is actually four hours ago from CNN. The uh, 1984 has hit number five on Amazon's bestseller list. Down at street level, another poster, torn at one corner, flapped fitfully in the wind, alternately, alternately, alternately covering and uncovering the single word: Ingsoc. I N G S O C. Ingsoc. In the far distance, a helicopter skimmed down between the roofs, hovering, hovered for an instant like a blue bottle, and darted away again with a curving flight. It was the police patrol snooping into people's windows. The patrols did not matter. However, only the thought police mattered. Mm-hmm. 
Behind Winston's back, the voice of the telescreen was still babbling away about pig iron and the overfulfillment of the ninth three-year plan. The telescreen received and transmitted simultaneously. Any sound that Winston made above the level of a very low whisper would be picked up by it. Moreover, so long as he remained within the field of vision which was the metal plaque commanded, uh, with w- which the metal plaque commanded, he could be seen as well as heard. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment, how often or what system the thought police plugged in on any individual wire was guesswork. It was even conceivable that they watched everybody all the time. But at any rate, they could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. So you saw the Snowden movie? I did. Mm. I didn't finish I didn't finish the Snowden. Oliver Stone one. Yeah, I only watched the I've only seen Citizen Four, but this super boring ass long ass one. Correct. Yeah. That one was way too much for me. Like, you know, just even as a documentary, it was fucking, uh, I, I just can't take that style. Like it's, uh, I don't know, you know, do some fucking editing or something. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. Uh, it's not a vlog. It's not a video diary. It's, I mean, you know, if you're trying to make a goddamn like textbook or a dictionary in video format, I understand. But that's <laughs> just a ridiculous way to go. But everyone should see the Snowden movie. It's uh, tangible. It's uh, easily, easily digestible as far as Oliver Stone movies go. I would recommend watching Snowden and then watching Citizen Four for the meat. Or for your vegetables. Like, like yeah. go ahead and eat, eat, eat your candy with Snowden and then see the, the documentary. I suppose. There wasn't really much that was uh, revelatory or different. You know, if you are completely unaware of the situation, I think the Oliver Stone doc is, un- or Oliver Stone movie is enough to at least understand what the problem is. Um, you know, if you are a super nerd or a wonk and want to get really into it, then you probably already have watched and you're probably listening to this show. It's quite possible. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, they could plug you in. They could plug. They could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. You had to live, did live, from habit that became instinct in the assumption that every sound you made was overheard, and except in darkness, every movement scrutinized, every movement scrutinized. Winston kept his back turned to the telescreen. It was safer. Though, as he knew well, uh, even a black, sorry, though, as he well knew, even a back can be revealing. Mm. A kilometer away from the Ministry of Truth, his place of work towered vast and white above the grimy landscape. That's why you got to put your little post-it note or like a little band-aid over the camera. Like, mm. Fucking, you know, get your shit together, man. This, he thought, with it, well, post-its weren't invented by then. They had telescreens, but they didn't have fucking post-it notes. They didn't have band-aids. They didn't have tape. They didn't have anything to fucking cover that goddamn camera. This, he thought, was a sort of vague distaste. This was London, chief city of Airstrip One, inside the third most populous of the province of Oceania. He tried to squeeze out some childhood memory that should okay, tell him yeah, what Okay, that is a question I do have. Uh, I tried to figure this out on a few different occasions, but sure. what exactly encompasses Oceania? So under some definitions I found, it is like literally just the continent of Australia, uh, or the, the, the island of Australia, I should say. But then some include the continent of Australia, which includes a bunch of different uh, islands. But then some definitions included, like for, as far as the book is concerned, some definitions include America and, and Australia and like part of, I, I want to say like South Africa or something as, as Oceania. So what the fuck's Oceania? 
We'd need boner for that one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would have to say if I would, if I venture to guess, mm-hmm. I would say under the context, it's anything that sort of is under the crown still. Okay. That is what it yeah, appears yeah. to be. Right on. So in this case, uh, whatever was still under the crown in 1949, right on. so to speak. I'll buy it. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever, yeah. whatever queen, the queen owned, who still, by the way, I think is the largest single landowner in the world. Yeah, that's a really weird system. Like, uh, uh, there's uh, one of my favorites, CGP Gray, has a video explaining how it is actually financially beneficial to keep the queen as the queen because of all of the land that she owns that she then, like, allows the country to use right. at, like, super Which reduced rates. the entirety rates of Australia. Like. For the most, yeah, <laughs> like, most of the land of everything is right. owned by the queen. So, like, there, it is actually cheaper to keep her as the queen and do whatever they want rather than to you know supplant her long live the queen (laughs) (laughs) he tried to squeeze out some childhood memory that should tell him whether london was always london had always been quite like this were there always these vistas of rotting 19th century houses their sides shored up with bulk of timber their windows patched with cardboard and their roofs with corrugated iron their crazy garden walls sagging in all directions sounds like detroit yeah, right? And the bombed sites where the plastered dust swirled in the air and the willow, the willow herb straggled over the heaps of rubble and the places where the bombs had cleared a larger path and there had been sprung up sordid colonies of wooden dwellings like chicken houses. But Did you say wooden? No, I just said wooden. Pretty but sure. I did say herb because there's the fucking H in it. Yeah. Would you have said that if this wasn't an English book? Probably not. Yeah. Or I should say a British book. I mean, I may have. I think it was just... I think everything... Well, not everything we've read has been in English, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, actually, a couple. Um, I I don't know, actually. I think it was just... I'm not really sure why. Willow Herb. Willow Willow Herb. When you say Herb, I just think it's a dude's name rather than... Herbie! Yeah. (laughs) Willow Herbie! (laughs) The love bug. But it was no use. He could not remember... Nothing remained of his childhood except a series of bright-lit tableau occurring against no background and mostly unintelligible. The Ministry of Truth, miniature in Newspeak, was... Recently enacted under Trump. Newspeak? Uh, The Ministry of Truth. Oh. Uh, The Ministry of Truth, mini-true in Newspeak. There's an asterisk by Newspeak, and on the bottom it reads... Newspeak was the official language of Oceania. For an account of its structure and etymology, see Appendix. Appendix... So, okay, let's check out. Let's see if there's an appendix. I had mine removed. I can't uh, can't verify. When did you have your... Uh, it was a joke. Appendix I removed. I know. Yeah. But nevertheless. Oh, shit. My improv training fails again. Not supposed to deny. Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, so I have the appendix here. Um, appendices? I have the appendix here. It's just, mm. it seems, it appears only to be one, one appendix. Mm. Well, no, there probably is more, but mm. I don't know. I have the first appendix. Of the appendices, if mm. there if there are more. Newspeak was the official language of Oceania and had been uh, devised to meet the ideological needs of Insog or Ingsoc. That's going to be tough. Ingsoc of English socialism. Mm. In the year 1984, there was not as yet anyone who used Newspeak as the sole means of communication, either in speech or writing. The leading articles in the Times were written it, in it, but. This was a tour de force, which could only be carried out by a specialist. It was expected that Newsweek, <clears throat> that Newspeak would have Newsweek. 
I know, right? <laughs> uh, would have finally, this, the text in this tip book is so small. <laughs> yeah, it is tiny. It's so tiny. <laughs> it's really hard to read, actually. Uh, but would have finally superseded old speak, uh, or English standard, as we should call it, by about the year 2050. Meanwhile, it gained ground steadily. All party members tended to use new speak words and grammatical constructions more and more in their everyday speech. The version used in 1984 and embodied in the 9th and 10th editions of new speak uh, dictionary was a provincial one and contained many superfluous words and archaic formulations which were due to the suppressed latter. It was the final perfected version as embodied in the 11th edition of the dictionary that we are concerned uh, that we are concerned here. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits pro- proper in the devotes of Ingsoc, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. It was intended that when Newspeak had been adopted once and for all as and old speak forgotten, a heretical thought, that is, a thought diverging from the principle of principles of Ing- Ingsoc, should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is, in- is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give the exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express, while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by by eliminating undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings, and so far as possible of all secondary meanings, whatever." That's wow. that's what we just went through with the Democrats. PC. Yeah. To give a single example, the word free still exists in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as, quote, the dog is free from lice, or, quote, the field is free from weeds, end quote. It could not be used in its old sense of, quote, politically free, end quote, or, quote, intellectually free, end quote, since political and intellectual freedom no longer exists even as concepts and were therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of, in, of definitely heretical words, reduction of vocabulary was regarded, it, regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with uh, that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to extend but to diminish the range of thought, and this purpose and this purpose was indirectly uh, assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. Newspeak. It, it occurs to me that uh, I discovered this book right around the same time as uh, one of my other favorite books, which we recently read, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Did and, you read that in that other episode? Yeah. That that was uh, what oh, we nice. mainly read, um, but there there just seems to be a I don't know some sort of like parallel weird correlation between the appendices description of Newspeak and the Hitchhiker's Guide in and of itself the physical the guide that exists within the book series. Sure, I can give you that. Yeah, I I, I would say that. Well, this lacks the humor <clears throat> of that certainly, but it has that same sort of like. Um, I, I don't know, diminutive tone yeah, of humanity. Perfect. Precisely, yeah. It's it's just it's supposed to read like a like um essentially boring. Yeah. Just just laying out the facts of you know this is what happened then this is yeah. why this is what it is in order to. But it's got that um, that sort of Starship Troopers feel of that uh, you know a specific point of view that these facts are coming from. Yes. So it it is that uh, you know very Trumpian. Nice. <laughs> I'll give you that, my friend. Absolutely. Well well read. 
Newspeak was, found, Newspeak was founded on the English language as we now know it, though many Newspeak sentences, even when not containing newly created words, would be barely intelligible to an English speaker of our own day. Newspeak words were divided into three distinct classes, known as the A vocabulary, the B vocabulary, also called, called compound words, and the C vocabulary. It will be simpler to discuss each class separately, but the grammatical peculiar, peculiarities of the language can be dealt with in the section devoted to the A vocabulary, since the same rules held... Good for all three categories. Um, I'm not How going long to is continue. The appendices? Yeah, I'm not going to keep reading this. <laughs> is this is that whole appendices about the fucking? I think so. Yeah, it appears is it to basically be basically just like the dictionary. <laughs> Looks like it. Yeah. Wow. It goes for a, like uh, the A vocabulary is like a whole page and a, a page and a half roughly, and then the B vocabulary is like two pages, and the C vocabulary goes on. It's just yeah, I'm not going to. Jesus. Anyway, the Ministry of Truth, Mini True, in Newspeak was startlingly different from any other object in sight. It was an enormous uh, pyramidal structural structure of glittering white concrete soaring up terrace after terrace, 300 meters into the air. From where Winston stood, it was just possible to read, picked out on its white face in elegant lettering, the three slogans of the party. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. The Ministry of Truth contained, it was said, 3,000 rooms above ground level and corresponding ramifications below. Scattered about London, there were just three other buildings of similar appearance and size. So completely did they dwarf the surrounding architecture from that of the roof of Victory Mansion, from the roof of Victory Mansions, you could see all four of them simultaneously. They were the homes of the four ministries between which the entire apparatus of government was divided. The Ministry of Truth, which concerned itself with news, entertainment, education, and the fine arts. The Ministry of Peace, which concerned itself with war. The Ministry of Love, which maintained law and order. The Ministry of Plenty, which was responsible for economic affairs. Their names in Newspeak, Mini True, Mini Pax, Mini Love, and Mini Plenty. The Ministry of Love was a really frightening one. (laughs) There were no windows in it at all. Winston had never been inside the Ministry of Love, nor within half a kilometer of it. It was, a place of imp- it was a place impossible to enter except on official business, and then only by penetrating through a maze of barbed wire entanglements, steel doors, and hidden machine gun nests. Even the streets leading up to its outer barriers were roamed by gorilla-faced guards in black uniforms armed with jointed truncheons. I feel like that's what the White House is going to be very shortly. Winston turned around abruptly. He had set his features into an expression of quiet optimism, which it was advisable to wear when facing the telescreen. He crossed the room into the tiny kitchen by leaving the ministry at this time. Of day, he had sacrificed his lunch in the canteen, and he was aware that there was no food in the kitchen except a hunk of dark-colored bread, which had got to be saved for tomorrow's breakfast. He took down from the shelf a bottle of colorless liquid with a plain white label marked Victory Gin. (laughs) It gave off a sticky, uh, it gave off a sickly, oily smell as of Chinese rice spirit. Winston poured out neatly a teacupful, nerved himself for a shock, and gulped it down like a dose of medicine. Damn, a teacupful of gin. Instantly, his face turned scarlet, and the water ran out of his eyes. The stuff was like nitric acid, and moreover, in swallowing it, one had the sensation of being hit on the back of the head with a rubber club. The next moment, however, the burning in his belly died down, and the world began to look more cheerful. Oh, that had another tinge of hitchhiker to it. 
It's the, true. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Much like being, uh, what is it, uh, uh, hit with a slice of lemon wrapped around a gold brick or something. Yeah. He took a cigarette from a crumpled packet marked Victory Cigarettes and incautiously held it upright, whereupon the tobacco fell out to the floor. With the next, <clears throat> with the next, he was more successful. He went back to the living room and sat down at a small table and stood at the left of the telescreen. From the table drawer, he took out a pen holder, a bottle of ink, and a thick, quarto-sized bank book with a red, black, with a red back and a marbled, marbled cover. For some reason, the telescreen in the living room was in an unusual position. Instead of being placed, as it was normal, in the end wall, where it could command the whole room, it was on the longer wall, opposite the window. To one side of it was a shallow alcove in which Winston was now sitting, and which, when the flats were built, had probably been intended to hold bookshelves. By sitting in the alcove and keeping the wall back, uh, keeping the well back, and sorry, by sitting in the alcove and keeping well back, Winston was able to remain outside the range of the telescreen, so far as sight went. He could be heard, of course, but so long as he stayed in his present position, he could not be seen. It was partly the unusual geography of the room that had suggested to him the thing that he was now about to do. But it had also been suggested by the book he had just taken out of the drawer. It was a particularly beautiful book. Its smooth, creamy paper, a little yellowed by age, was the kind that had not been manufactured for at least 40 years past. He could guess, however, that the book was much older than that. He had seen it lying in the window of the frowsy little junk shop in a slummy quarter of town, just a, just what quarter he did not now remember, and he had been <clears throat> stricken immediately by an overwhelming desire to possess it. Party members were supposed not to go to the ordinary shops, dealing in free market it was called, but the rule was not strictly kept because there were various things such as shoelaces and razor blades, which it was impossible to get a hold of any other way. He had been given a he had given a quick glance up and down the street and then had slipped inside and bought the book for $2.50. At the time, he was not conscious of wanting it for any particular purpose. You know, when I think about this book, I, I, I guess I just kind of always either forget or block out the fact that, like, this isn't everything. So, like, there is that sort of world outside of the party members. Uh, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast where someone was talking about uh, escaping from Scientology, and it sounds very similar to that, where there is, you know, that, that circle that you are kept, you know, kind of groomed away from the rest of society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, you think it, it feels like that's your whole world, but then, you know. The, the heavens open. I haven't listened to that yet. Kelly actually was listening to that, I think. She was telling me about it. Mm. And the Manson one, I think. Mm. Listened to that yet? I don't know. Uh, quick question, by the way, as far as the prophetic um, reality of this book. Mm -hmm. So, uh, did you see what how much it was supposed to be for a book? He bought the book for how much? Oh, I didn't uh, catch that, no. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It was triple. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, shit, where the hell did I leave it? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he going to click on something. Inside, I bought the book for $2.50. Ah. Um, this book was written in 1949, mm -hmm. when a paperback copy like this... Yeah, would have been 15 cents. Probably yeah. something like that. How mm -hmm. much do you think... So this book... This paperback <laughs> book I'm holding in my hand came out in 1984. And it has a price U.S. It has stamp a price on, on the cover. Is it fucking 250? What do you think? 
it feels like it being the centennial issue or the commemorative issue that they would be that bold. So yes, I would say it's not bold. It's not boldness. I think it's just accurate. So it's two dollars and fifty five cents. Fifty five. Yeah, oh, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. If you look, it's kind of like scratched off. Yeah, that does look like a 55. Yeah, but but nevertheless, <laughs> Mr. Orwell nails it again. He's accurate. Yeah, I mean, that just, I guess that is, yeah, that states more about his accuracy than the um, uh, jovial, jovialness of the printer. <laughs> I would say so. Yes, for sure. If it was exactly 250, then, exactly, then yeah. the argument could be made either way. Right, right. But yeah, no. But two, because it's two fifty-five. Yeah, no, that's just the economy, stupid. I'm going with I'm going with Mr. Orwell called it. At the time, he was not conscious of wanting it for any particular purpose. He had carried it guiltily home in his briefcase, even with nothing written in it. It was a compromising possession. The thing that he was about to do was to open a diary. This was not illegal. Nothing was illegal since there were no longer any laws. But if detected. It was reasonably certain that it would be punished, by, that he would be punished by death, <laughs> or at least by twenty-five years in a forced labor camp. Winston fitted ben. a nib into the pen holder and sucked it to get, and sucked it to get the grease off. The pen was an archaic instrument, seldom used even for signatures, and he had procured one, uh, futively. Fut- fut- sorry, yeah, furtively. Um, and with some difficulty, simply because of a feeling that the beautiful creamy paper deserved to be written on with a real nib instead of being scratched with an ink pencil. Actually, he was not used to writing by hand. Apart from the very short notes, it was... Do you know what a nib is? A real nib instead of... Is that like a fountain pen versus... With a real nib instead of being scratched with an ink. Yeah, so an ink pencil, does that mean like a ballpoint pen? And then, like, a real nib would be, like, a, yeah, an ink pen or that, like, you know, has the separation and the whatnot. Presumably, those are similar. I, I would, if I had to put money on it, those are those are similar evolutions. Like, if you can mm. imagine from 1955, what because mm. ballpoint pens were around. Um, I think so. Yeah, for sure. So, I would imagine, like, whatever the the natural evolution of those things would be that's that is the the contrast between the nib and then the ink pencil gotcha i think at least these are orwell words not necessarily i'm not sure yeah. they, they might be right they on. might be an ink pencil might just literally mean a ballpoint pen and the mm. real nib might mean a you know a quill but i'm gonna go with the evolution of them you're right welcome on. to look it up yeah um Actually, he was not used to writing by hand. Apart from very short notes, it was usual to dictate everything into the speakwrite, which he, which was, uh, which was, of course, impossible for his present purpose. He dipped the pen into the ink, and then faltered for just a second. A tremor had gone through his bowels. To mark the paper was a decisive act. In small, clumsy letters, he wrote, "April fourth, nineteen eighty-four." I feel like that's a good place to stop. Uh-huh. I kind of want to just keep reading this, though, like pretty much for the rest of this show. <laughs> just read 1984 as we progress. Oh. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. Thank you for listening to Literally Literary. Literally Literary. The world is crashing.